I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. Hope you're all doing well out there today or whenever you happen to be watching this because I know a lot of you will be watching this in the replay. And I do appreciate your comments uh, and subscribing, following, liking, and sharing. That that always helps uh, other people see interviews like this that actually can impact them significantly because we're talking about a, a tough subject today. Uh, and if you've ever experienced the loss of a family member you you get it. Uh, it's it's tough. Um, you know, Paul. What does he say? Death. Where's your sting? Grave. Where's your victory? It still stings. We know that, but it's still it's still tough. So today's guest is Tim Challies. Uh, he is a pastor up in Toronto at Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, he's well known for his blog Challies dot com, where he covers a lot, uh, and he's got just a he's just one of those early bloggers that. Uh, has just risen in popularity and he's a great writer and so that helps you know uh but he has a new book out just came out a little over a week ago it's called seasons of sorrow where he talks about a very difficult and painful time in his life uh and what he's learned through it how he's gotten through it how he continues to go through it because uh like i said if you if you've lost somebody it it never goes away you just learn to live with it uh so if you know someone who is dealing with this who has dealt with this i would urge you to to hit that share button real quick uh and uh they'll get some encouragement some comfort uh and so we'll get to it tim great to have you on life today live glad to be here thanks so for people who don't know uh you know your story um uh, as a father of four I, i i feel for you brother share a little bit of what happened to you yeah um I'm the father of three children, have a son and two daughters. And um, November of the year 2020, my son, my eldest child, was at seminary. He was studying there, uh, eager to finish up his training. He was just engaged, ready to be married, and looking forward to hopefully a lifetime of serving the Lord in the local church when very suddenly the Lord took him. Uh, Just in a moment, without warning, without any premonition, he just collapsed and was gone. Nobody could revive him. And so we got that phone call that uh, every parent dreads, that phone call telling you that your, your child has gone to be with the Lord. And uh, in that, that evening that we learned that, I started writing uh, for my own sake just uh, and to, to share messages with people who needed to know what was going on. And eventually over about a year, that grew into something that uh, turned into a book. And that's where Seasons of Sorrow came from. I, I don't know how I would react probably not very well um what what was when when that first hit you you know because you had to fly from what toronto to louisville kentucky um yeah what what was going through your head yeah I, there was a, a lot and a little all at once there's a, a real fog that overcomes you when you're in times of deep grief and whether it's the loss of a child or a parent or even somebody you just closely identify with i think you can um you can sense that, that your mind becomes very dull. And I think that's probably some kind of almost a, a self-protection mechanism God has built into us. Uh, on the other hand, um, we had a deep sense right away that it was going to be okay, that this was going to hurt, and that it was going to be a very, very difficult time for us as individuals, for us as a couple, for us as a family. 
but we also had a deep sense that the Lord was with us in this, and uh, we a, a deep sense that we could do this. That that evening, I, my wife and I looked each other in the eye, and we just said, "We can do this." The Lord's prepared us to be able to endure a time of great sorrow without revoking our faith, without spiraling down into you know, kind of despair we could never climb out of. And so God is very kind and very gracious to us right from the very beginning. What, do you, what would you say he had done to prepare you? Because I'm, I, my, my sister suffered cancer for seven years, and my younger sister, and then we lost her about 10 years ago. Uh, and you, we'd had, we, we didn't have the suddenness of it. We knew she was battling cancer, and she had gone in and out of hospitals and treatment. And you still, I still, you know, it's, you're prepared a little bit. I don't know, man. It's still difficult with the suddenness of this. How, how do you think God prepared you and your wife? Yeah, certainly not in the sense that we knew this was going to come or even would have guessed that such a thing would come. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know several months before this happened, I had, I've been talking with Aileen and it just said, we have had a very easy life, and I think we need to be prepared that suffering may come. It just seems so often that our will and God's will were just so closely aligned. That's not to say life had been all all roses mm-hmm. and rainbows, but you know we had had some difficulties. But just generally speaking, our life our, our life together for twenty two twenty three years at that time had been very easy, and um, I had this somehow the sense that we needed to prepare ourselves. And that preparation came largely, I think, by by knowing God, by coming to a deep understanding of who God is and the nature of our relationship with him. So that when when this time of sorrow came, I didn't have to ask questions like, well, who is God? Or is God good? Or does God really love me? Or is God heart inclined toward me? Hmm. Those sorts of questions uh, weren't in my mind. We didn't have to wrestle with that. We had those building blocks in place. We also knew that God is sovereign, that nothing in this world happens apart from his will. So we knew right from the beginning that this was God's will in some way. This wasn't Satan's will triumphing over God's. This wasn't some medical malformation that God had no idea about. This was within the will of God. You know, I want to ask you about because I know you come from a Reformed background, and so the sovereignty of God is obviously rock-solid. Uh, in some other circles, uh, there is the idea that uh, a death like that, or in the case of my sister, it was a victory for Satan. What What do you have you thought about that whole concept at all, or is, or are you just that's not something you have to worry about because nobody would float that idea in your circles? Yeah, I, I don't think people would say that in my circles necessarily. But first, in the Reformed world, we do talk a lot about God's sovereignty. And usually we're talking about God's sovereignty applied to salvation. So God Mm -hmm. shows the ones who would be saved. And that's wonderful, true doctrine. But God's sovereignty is much deeper and much richer than that, to the extent that there's literally nothing that happens in this world that God doesn't know about And that in some way wasn't part of his will. That's not to say there can't still be evil forces in the world that are acting. Um, You know, we can ascribe something to the to the will of God, or um, but also to the will of of an evil force. And so God is not the author of evil, but that evil also didn't happen apart from his knowledge, apart from his will. And so we have this this richness in the reformed um, understanding of of scripture. 
But we can still say that, um, you know, in some ways, Satan led people into sin. Sin brought death. And so we can say that this next death was unnatural. It was evil. It was, in that sense, the work of Satan, the work of evil. And we don't have to shy away from that either. So people who might say that, um, I I say they could be right, they could be wrong, just depending what they mean by it. And um, different Christian traditions, sometimes you say the same thing, but just with different words. So we need to really tease out what other people are saying. We all have our own little private lexicon. <laughs> right, right. What what helped you through this, uh, other than, you know, your obviously your faith would be the biggest thing, but were there other people, community, that, that helped? Maybe some words spoken to you, some things done to, to help help you? Yeah, if you roll back the clock to November 2020, this was still relatively early in the pandemic that swept the world. And I'm in Canada, which responded pretty vigorously <laughs> to the pandemic. Yeah. And so, um, you know, contextually, we were still in that period of uncertainty, people starting to realize maybe it wasn't as bad as the early projections, but there were still no vaccines or still the borders were still locked. The, the border between Canada and the U.S. was still mostly locked. And so we immediately went down to the States at Ironically, at the time, you could fly across the border. You could not walk or drive across the border. Who knows? That was the rule. So we flew down. When we came back, we were immediately into two weeks of quarantine, and uh, nobody allowed on our property. And so um, we we did have friends who reached out through Zoom or stood on our property line and and did their best to encourage us. But um, what what I really relied on was people who had been through this in the past. So I turned to authors from a bygone era where the death of a child was very common. And I really relied on them to be my friends and to be my coaches um, in this particular loss and grief. Did this in any way challenge, not, not shake. I I don't mean to imply anything, you know, uh, but did it challenge your belief in the goodness of God at all? I was speaking to a, a gentleman a few days ago who suffered a very similar loss, and he said it didn't undermine my faith, it didn't uproot my faith, but it did renovate it. And I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. We can't go through any time of sorrow, loss, persecution, any any form of suffering without just having to examine our faith to say, do I really believe this, and have I been correct? And um, I never wavered from... Um, by God's grace, I never wavered from my understanding that God is good and that God is inclined toward us in ways that are good. God is inclined toward my son in ways that were good. And so somehow this must be a manifestation of his goodness. God didn't stop being good when this happened. So even if I can't see it, even if I can't figure it out, I still have to believe that. And that's what faith is. Faith is trusting in what we don't yet see but God will reveal in time. And I do believe a time will come. I I don't expect it'll be in this life, but um, you know, in eternity when God will pull back the curtain a little bit, show what he was doing through this. And I think any of us who experience such a loss will just marvel at what God was up to. Yeah. um, I I believe that as well. Uh, But I feel like you did, you, you wrote in, in your book, I cannot and will not mourn as one who has no hope. But later you said, I don't even know what to feel about my faith, about my God. What am I supposed to do? How can I orient myself when everything is so dim, dull, and dark? And I appreciate you saying that 
because that is how it feels when you go through this kind of thing. It does feel dim, dull, and dark. Uh, and yet, you know that you know, we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, which is dark. It is deep. But there's only a shadow because there's a light somewhere. What was there a was there a moment or was there a process? Or are you still going through it where the the dimness, the dullness, the darkness started to fall away, and you felt like you could maybe breathe again? Yeah, oh, definitely. I think those early days were very dark days, mm-hmm. and again, not dark in the sense of I'm going to throw out my faith or I don't believe in God anymore, but dark in the sense that our minds just we weren't created to deal with death. This is outside of God's plan for humanity that we should we should have to grapple with something as as terrible as death. Um, death is an unnatural thing mm. for us, and um, the the darkness came. I think in my inability to really to know what had happened. My um, yeah, just my my grappling around in the dark, looking for answers, looking for for something to latch onto. But um, you referenced the valley of the shadow of death, and I think one of the things that really became so important to me was as you read Psalm twenty three, you realize um, the, the the sheep that's going through the valley of the shadow of death. This isn't the wandering sheep of Jesus's parable. This is a sheep that was led there by the shepherd because mm-hmm. he's leading his sheep through the dark valley to the green pastures, to the still waters. And so um, even in our darkest valleys, we know the shepherd is with us. He's there with his rod and his staff. He's comforting us. He's protecting us. And so um, God was so gracious in our grief to be very present with us, present by his His word, present by his spirit, and then present eventually through his people as, as things started to open up and we could spend more time with people again. Yeah. We're talking to Tim Challies, uh, and he has a book out now where he talks about his very personal walk through the valley of shadow, <laughs> the shadow of death. It's called Seasons of Sorrow. It is available now. And by the way, he mentioned to me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an Audible guy. I listen to Audible pretty much every day driving to and from work, uh, and it's 65% off on Audible, and he reads it himself. So <laughs> if, if you are interested, there would be a good opportunity for you. I just want to mention that, but we're not here to sell books. We're here to to help people. And I'm curious how this has impacted your ministry as a, a pastor, as someone who is, is blogging on this and people are reading about this. Uh, I know it's very common when people go through any area of suffering, you know, from abuse to loss to illness, they develop uh, a compassion that they didn't have before only because they kind of couldn't have had it before because you kind of don't really know it until you go through it. Have you have you sensed any of that being developed in you? Yeah, yeah very much so. Um, again, if we're going to go back to the doctrine of God's sovereignty, we have to believe that God is up to something in our sorrows. He's not being arbitrary in taking my son. He's not uh, just doing this to be mean. He's up to something. And um, I think as we read the Scripture, we, we, we come to a, a good understanding of what God is up to. One of the things he's up to is preparing us to, to minister to one another. We're a body. We're bound together. Christ is our head. We, his people, are the body. And um, God equips us in such a way that we can care for one another. And so those people who have gone through a loss in the past were so helpful to me in ministering to me. And I think God is now preparing me to minister to others. Now, 
I don't want to say that means you start a formal ministry and you start accepting charitable donations and all that. I I think we have that sense of formality, but um, there will be people in my life, people in my church, people in my neighborhood um, who, who we've now been equipped to reach out to them and minister to them and their sorrow in a, in a special way, in a really profound way, just like somebody who's suffered abuse can reach out to someone who is being abused and say, I understand. And, and um, coach them through, lead them through. Uh, God has equipped us and already provided a number of times where we've been able to to reach out with a little bit we've learned. We're still babies in this process. We've got a whole lifetime ahead of us of learning how to bear this grief, but already right away being able to reach out to some people near here and uh, offer them care, compassion, and love. And um, so I think God's equipping us to minister to others in that sense. Yeah, and, and one of the things in ministry that's, and when I say ministry, I don't mean professional, you know, occup- vocational yeah. ministry like you and I are in. I mean, just in our calling as ministers of Christ, is that a lot of people, they think, man, nobody understands what I'm going through. Anyone who's go- gone, you know, goes through the loss of a child, they, they know you, they know you understand, they know you get it. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, you know, there's, I think all suffering, all sorrow has a lot in common. If you were to sort of do a Venn diagram of it, there would be the two circles between abuse and losing a child or between persecution and uh, the death of a child. There'd be a lot of overlap there. And so all of us who have suffered can reach out to anyone else who has suffered. And even if you haven't really suffered, you've still got the Word of God to minister to people. Um, But you do gain knowledge of what what is effective and when to speak and when not to speak and so on. Um, But yeah, once you've suffered, you're in some way equipped to reach out to anyone else who suffered in any way and uh, and bring them. But then the closer your suffering is to them, I think just the more poignant that, that ministry can be and the more specific you can be in really bringing hope, even just to say, I've been there, I've passed through it, I still love the Lord. My family's still intact. You can do this. Yeah. And I think that alone can be really comforting to people. Yeah, and, you know, the truth is still the truth. It's almost like it for the other person, it opens them up better. Uh, you know, you, you might say the exact same things before going through it as you do after going through it, but now they'll listen to you more because they, they can see that you've actually experienced it. But you mentioned um, you and your family. I'm uh, how how hard was Christmas of 2020? Yeah, I was just speaking to somebody about this yesterday who recently lost a child, and they're just asking themselves, should we celebrate Christmas this year, yeah. or should we just right away write it off? Can we celebrate? Um, can we find joy on that day? And uh, one thing that became clear to me over the, the course of especially that first year, and, and Seasons of Sorrow is written that the first uh, part of it is written on the day, the evening that we learned that Nick had died. And the last bit is written the one-year anniversary of his death. And along the way, of course, we came to Christmas. But one of the things I realized is that as Christians, we experience joy and we experience sorrow. These aren't, you know, black and white that mix together to become gray. They aren't two things that somehow become one. These are two things that are both present in the Christian life, but never merge into some middling kind of emotion. And Mm. so even at our most joyful moments, we're still carrying that sorrow. Mm. Even at our most sorrowful moments, we still have joy. And so when it comes to Christmas, we can rejoice. We'll still be sad, but we can still find joy because there is so much 
to find joy in in the world. I mean, we've been saved by, by grace through faith, nothing we've done. We have a God who loves us and is inclined toward us and is taking us home to heaven. We always have so much to be, to be joyful about. How, um, how have your daughters handled it? Because I know that that's part of the, also the pain as a, as a father you see your daughter's suffering too. And that, I mean, that's tough too. Yeah. And as a father, I mean, really as anyone, I suppose, but as a father, I realized very early on that when I'm most broken is when I'm most needed. And so here at this time where my heart was completely shattered, this was the time in all of marriage where my wife needed me to be present and available and comforting her and, and in all parenting when my daughters needed me the most. And so I didn't get to just, opt out of life and I didn't get to, to fall apart and become useless to them. I had to, to continue to be a husband and continue to be a father. And, you know, all of us have uh, passed through this trial with our faith intact. And I think all of us would say we, we love the Lord even more. Mm. Um, it's not to say we, <laughs> not to say we're, we're particularly content with God's decision to, to take Nick. Um, <laughs> But we're also not going to fight him on it because he's God and we're not. And I don't think I could run this world better than God did or better than God does. Um, and so we're content to let God be God and we'll continue to find joy and hope in him and uh, look forward to to being reunited with Nick. And we, we all genuinely believe that we will. I, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have suffered all sorts of just really awful, painful things. Um, and, of course, the, the obvious question is why? You know, why? Why? God, Why? But I, I hear consistently that if they stay there in the why, they, they can be stuck. When they say, okay, God, what now? What will you do out of this? It's when they begin to move out of a, that season, and it does become seasonal. Was there, any, was there any why for you guys, or was there anything that came after that? or How, how does that kind of – I mean, I, you got solid faith in God. I get that. Uh, but still, is there, was there any struggle? Was there any wrestling? We distinguished very early on between what we'd say, why God did it and how God is using it, or if you prefer, why God allowed it to happen and how God is using it. So I don't think I'm likely to get an answer from God as to why this happened. Um and I kind of suspect that if he gave it to me, maybe I wouldn't really like the answer so much based <laughs> sure. on my limited perspective. God's up to so much. I don't know that he could let me into all of his purposes that are that are wrapped up in this. Um, so I don't know why God did it. And, you know, the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. And so um, I don't think I should expect that God will pull back the curtain now and say, here's why I did it. I don't even know how we would communicate that. I don't expect a voice to come from the sky and say, hey, just want you to know this is why you did it, or an angel to show up and say, hey, this is why this happened. But what I can see is how God is using it. And as long as I don't conflate the two. So, you know, let's say somebody hears Nick's story or reads about him and comes to faith. That's how God is using it. God has saved somebody through this. But I don't want to now say, oh, well, that's why God did it. So this person right. can come to faith. Because to be honest, I'm not sure that I would say, oh, well, that makes it worth it. You know, you take <laughs> take my would... son, this person comes yeah. to faith. Yeah. How am I supposed to deal with that? But what I can say is, look how God is using this. And God has used it in me. And God has used it in my daughters. And he's used it in Nick's friends. He's, he's growing us in our faith. Mm. He's making us more like him. He's causing us to be 
softer. He's causing us to, to live with more of an eye on eternity, a deeper longing for heaven. There's so much. Yeah, and and that's where I want to ask you about next because the, the one thing that did develop in me and I think helped in me in dealing with my you know the sibling lost was was that I did come to understand and adopt more of an eternal perspective where you go okay you know we we measure she was 40 we measure 40 years as too short so what is what is right 70 80 90 I mean the older I get the the higher that number goes (laughs) right but if you take an eternal perspective and you realize this life is just a vapor this is a this is a temporary stage for any an eternity then you go okay the number of years are not as critical as what takes place you know between the dash on our tombstone or on the dash of our tombstone mm-hmm. so is, whether it's 20 years you know 21 years 40 years 60 years that's not the important thing it, is this kind of eternal perspective kind of grown in you oh absolutely and the, if we're looking 10,000 years into eternity or a hundred million years into eternity, the difference between a life that's 20 years and a life that's 80 years is just a blip. It's, yeah. it's almost nothing. So what matters is what you do with that little blip the Lord's given you, how you prepare yourself for eternity, primarily by coming to faith in, in Christ, putting your faith in him and um, believing in him. And then, yeah, how you live out those days faithfully. And we believe God is the one who ordains the number of our days. And uh, that means you yourself will live the exact number of years, months, days, hours, minutes, seconds that God has ordained for you. And the same was true of Nick. He didn't, he didn't die too young by God's assessment, only by ours. He lived the, the perfect amount of time God had ordained for him. And then God took him. And God took him to heaven, which is so much better for Nick than being here. I mean, just think of all that he's escaped by not having to live another 60 or 70 years here. I, I, you know, I kind of laugh at myself sometimes when I go, wait a minute. It's kind of like somebody, you know, being stuck, uh, I don't know, up in the North pole in the snow with no food and the weather's miserable and nobody, and someone comes and takes them to Hawaii and they're just in a place of abundance and beauty and fellowship and perfect weather. And, and, and I'm still in the North pole going, you know, what, that's not, why would you take that, that person? You're, you, what a terrible, you know, person you are for taking my loved one to paradise. You know, you kind of, mm-hmm. if, if we're honest about it, it's, it's kind of yeah. a, it's, Kind of a weird thing the way we think sometimes, at least the way I think sometimes. Yeah, obviously. it is. And, you know, we as Christians, we can admit that it hurts and that it's painful and that death is awful and that it really does hurt to have that relationship torn apart. So we don't have to we're not stoics, right? We're not uh, we're, we're not supposed to just bear down and, you know, pretend like we don't have emotions. So we really can feel all that grief and certainly Sure, it's been your experience. It was certainly mine. I learned to weep through this loss, and I spent many days crushed and and brokenhearted and weeping. But then it also asks us the question, what do I really believe? And the question of, am I going to do my absolute best to subject my emotions, what I'm feeling, to what I profess to be true, 
or the other way around. Because in grief, a lot of people allow what they thought they believed to be overrun by their emotions. They they change their theology or they mm-hmm. change their convictions based on what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. But I, I trust and hope that for us, the opposite is true, that we're, we're saying, I, I feel this, but yet I know something else. I feel like this separation is forever, but I know that uh, it's not. I know that this is just a momentary affliction. Yeah. So yeah. On. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, that's, I can tell the spiritual maturity in you and your family has really helped carry you. I want to hit that first word because you, your book is Seasons of Sorrow. What's the seasonality aspect of it for you? Sure. Uh, there's sort of two things at play. One is that the book is quite literally framed around the seasons. And so Nick died in November. And so the seasons progress from November, um, winter, spring, fall into summer. At the same time, those seasons carry significance, at least on this side of the equator. We associate winter with coldness and with, um, you know, things dying, fall and, and winter, things die and we go into this freeze but then there's a hope of spring and the beauty, the fruitfulness of summer. Um, and so I think that that same theme carries uh, through the book. And then, of course, just the sense that all of us do go through seasons of sorrow. That's a universal experience that none of us completely escape unscathed from the sorrows of this world, because this is an evil, fallen world of suffering, a world that's groaning under the weight of all the sin that, that we as human beings brought into it and so none of us can escape those seasons of of heartbreak and and loss what do you tell people that are in that season right now yeah i i hope i'm able to tell people to to have hope and able to direct them to the lord because ultimately when we're going through one of those seasons our our hope is in god We, we our our heart our faith is fixed on his promises and we just have to bear down and believe those promises, apply them to our lives, apply them to our feelings, apply them to our hearts, and, and do our absolute utmost is crying out to God, let me believe that what you say is true. Let me truly believe it and, and act like it's true. And God God hears those prayers and God answers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. It's true. It's still hard, but it is true. Very hard. Yeah, and we can't downplay that, you know, and I think one of the things that happens as years go by is time compresses and we forget some of what we felt in the early days. And we can assume that, you know, the, the just the way time does heal wounds, it doesn't make them go away, but it certainly takes the edge off it. And we can look back and think, I probably always felt the way I do now. Um, but it, it, it does us good to remember the true sorrow and heartbreak and darkness and, and everything else that really overwhelmed us through the early days, weeks, and months. Yeah. Tim, I appreciate you speaking on this. Uh, I, it's it's not all that fun, I think, to kind of relive the pain, um, but I appreciate you doing it for the sake of others so, and, and for sharing them with our audience today. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And appreciate you guys out there. Again, if you know someone going through this, share this, but also you can check out uh, the book, Seasons of Sorrow. Uh, and you can go to the website as well. Uh, you know, Tim's still writing. He's got a lot of great topics to cover. So that is chalice.com. And come back. We've got more encouragement for you, more topics, more hope here on Life Today. We'll see you again next time. Of divine mercy.